Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund, and it is a very special episode of the show due to the fact that it is my first interview ever on Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show, and my guest on today's show has photographed professional wrestling and boxing for over a half a century. He still photographs to this day and has photographed many famous athletes, professional wrestlers, boxers, and many, many other notable celebrity figures. He's also played many roles inside and outside of the ring, not only as a photographer, but as a wrestler, manager, and much, much more. He is the co-author, along with John Cosper of the book, When It Was My Life on Both Sides of the Camera, which can be found on Amazon, Scott Romer. Here is my conversation with Scott on many, many great topics. He is a great storyteller, and I apologize in advance. I had some heavy breathing at the beginning. Might have been a little bit of nerves, I think. (laughs) Anyway, here's that conversation with Scott Romer. Hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Romer. Scott, welcome to the show. Glad we could get an opportunity to talk here. Pleasure. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Skyler. it's a pleasure to be a part of your show. And um, I understand that you've got one of the hot podcasts that's around. And uh, I'm truly grateful that you asked me to be a guest on today's show. No problem. I'm truly grateful for you to uh, come on to the show. Uh, you're my first guest, actually. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, you got you got a got a high bar you're gonna set here, Scott, aren't you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, really, I'm gonna open up with this. What motivated you to write your book, and how were you able to make that happen? Well, um, I've always wanted to write a book. I've had a, a very unusual and fulfilling life of from uh, my connections that I made in photography and wrestling and professional boxing. And I had all the pictures to back it up, but I didn't know how to really come across to writing a book. And uh, fortunately, uh, at at a Heroes and Legends show, um, Jason Maples invited me to come to his show, and that's where I met John Cosper. And he was with, um, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name right off the hand, but uh, he was uh, selling selling books and uh i gave him a little insight of what i was up to and um he said he would really like to work on a book with me and uh he was uh when he finished up tracy smothers book then he called me and and basically we got everything done really quickly i think this was one of the easier books for him to write Uh, how long was the process um I um, I invited him to a boxing show, a live boxing show in Indianapolis in December. And then um, he was still working on Tracy's book at that time, but he took notes, interviewed some of the boxing promoters and um, boxers and and um, watched me in action. And um, um, then I had some newspaper clips about me and told him, uh, my story, and um, and he had a book finished by May, or maybe it was even April, 
and that took a you know a good month and a half or so to 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 get it into print and and get the copies so we can distribute them. Wow, that's, that's a pretty quick quick pretty quick uh, turnaround for that. And uh, we mentioned Tracy Smothers, lost him last week. Uh, professional wrestling world did. Uh, what interactions did you have with him? Because I saw a picture of uh, him on your Facebook. Uh, talk about your interactions with Tracy Smothers a little bit. Well, I first met Tracy uh, when he was working for Memphis. That was when um, um, Christine Jarrett, uh, or Jerry Jarrett, and, and um, Jerry Lawler owned the territory. And um, I was working with Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine as well as Japan's Gong Wrestling magazine. I was covering almost every territory um, in, in the wrestling business for them. And, uh, I would, uh, I would be, I would call the, um, um, Louisville gardens or whatever town that, um, Tracy would be on to get the lineup so I could relay it to Bill after. And he would tell me what matches to photograph. So that was, uh, uh, maybe around 1983, 1984, and um, he had an unusual name. I'm, I'm in my 60s now, early 60s, uh, Smothers. And, and in those days, or in, in the uh, 60s, there was a uh, TV show called The Smothers Brothers. And um, um, they, they were a famous comedian brother team. And uh, so that name always stood out. But uh, also... Um, through my ventures in wrestling, I, uh, we, we, there was a, a promotion called Circle City Wrestling, and uh, Mike Samples was the booker, and um, I was managing Rip Rogers, and there were a couple times that they put um, Rip Rogers and Tracy Smothers together as a team, and I was the manager. Well, that's pretty and cool. Then, uh, uh, I'm sorry. That's pretty cool. That's what I was just, that's what I was just saying. Um, then, um, um, you know, during then I would work independent shows every once in a while. I was more or less a part-time regional worker. It's not like I was working every, you know, every week. But uh, um, on a lot of those shows in different towns, I would run into Tracy Smothers, and he was always a gentleman um, posed for whatever picture I asked him to pose for, and very cooperative, very respected in the wrestling industry. And he was just a joy to hang out with when I had a chance to. Gone too soon. Gone too soon. Absolutely. It was tragic. And he, he, um, he stood up like a true man to try to conquer the disease and... Um, you know, he, he wrote a post on Facebook uh, just a few hours or a day or so uh, before he died. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, telling, he was telling people he was back in the hospital, and it, it just didn't look good. It didn't sound good, and I know that he I knew he was going to be a goner. Ah, oh, man. That's heartbreaking to hear. Um, let's move over to a more positive note. Scott... What inspired you to get involved in photography uh, at a younger age? Well, you know, um, I I was um, I went to summer camps 
as a little kid, and they always did a group picture, and the gentleman that would take the picture had a camera, and it had all these buttons on it, and uh, I, I had no idea what what those buttons were other than the lens and, and the camera itself, but uh, I always had a fascination with photography, starting with those camp group pictures, and um, um, as a very young child, Bazooka Bubblegum, um, you, you know Bazooka Bubblegum, right? Of course, yes. Um, they used to... Uh, they used to have um, prizes that you can that you can buy with wrappers, and uh, I chewed up uh, you know like 200 pieces of gum, and sent uh, uh, um, money a, a little bit of money for shipping and handling, and got a little um, a, a little plastic camera. I don't even know if I developed film from that camera, but um, uh, I advanced to the old. Kodak 104 camera, which had the flash cube, and um, I would go to wrestling shows at, at 10 years old and um, take pictures with the uh, Kodak Instamatic camera. My pictures were really quite good, and um, I would take them. I would take the developed pictures to the next show and sell them to the fans at a dollar a piece. Wow! And um, then um, yeah, I did that for a long time until Bruiser found out what I was doing. I had David McLean of Glow fame. Remember David McLean and of, of Women of Wrestling and Glow? Yep, I remember that name. I was actually I was going to talk to you about him uh, momentarily, but go. <laughs> okay, well he was my best friend, and we went to the shows together. And he had a little pocket Instamatic camera, and I had the Instamatic camera. And uh, we would both sneak up at ringside, and the cops would throw us out. We'd go to the other side. They'd throw us out. And then, um, again, we were selling. Both of us were selling photos until Bruiser found out. Uh, the head cop was Cecil Madalena, was his name. And he told us that the Bruiser wants to see us upstairs right now. And they marched us upstairs into the dressing room and... Um, we saw the good guys and the bad guys together, and um, uh, off to the side, Bruiser and Wilbur Snyder had their own individual dressing room where they would call the workers in one at a time to get their pay. And um, after everybody was paid, um, it was our turn to come in, and he told us about, I hear you're selling pictures, and I showed him a few, and I said, yes, sir, and he said, well... From now on, boys, uh, you guys can continue to take the pictures, but uh, I want 20%. And that was our key to getting into the dressing room and hanging out with the bruiser. We would sit with the wrestlers, and they had a, um, a uh, they had cases of beer as the wrestlers waited for their pay. And Bruiser and Snyder took their own time and called each wrestler and individually uh, to, to get their pay. And, uh, I mean, sometimes the guys would wait until, you know, after one when they'd finally get their name called to get their, their paycheck. And uh, after, the, after everybody was paid, um, Bruiser and Snyder allowed David and I just to sit with them 
and chat for for several years. We were able to do it, and uh, the Bruiser drank his uh, his Japanese beer, and and Snyder had his Heinekens, and um, um, we were just in awe to, um, being able to be with Dick the Bruiser, who was my childhood hero, and Wilbur Snyder, who was also. Uh, part owner of the World Wrestling Association, and that's got to be cool to have that kind of experience at such a what you think you were what, a freshman in high school when you uh, got that opportunity to be sitting with your childhood hero and hanging out and, and also making money while taking pictures. That had to have been a great gig at a younger age, at a young age. It, it was, and um, I went to a Catholic high school, and um, you know the kids would party. And, um, you know, there was always a party or something like that. I would miss those high school parties where they would have underage drinking. But I would, uh, because I was hanging out with Bruiser and Snyder, and they were giving us all the beers we wanted at our age. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so keeping with Dick the Bruiser, he was a huge name around the Midwest, and namely his WWA promotion in Indianapolis from uh, the 50s through the 80s, would it be fair to say that he was like the top draw in the Midwest at that time or like the top draw in Indiana at least? Well, I, I you know, um, in, in the Midwest or or even the country in, in his prime, um, he sold out many arenas. In New York, he created, he and uh, Dr. Jerry Graham had a tag match with, uh, um, let's see, Eduardo Carpentier, and man, I, I'm sorry, I'm having a blackout on, on. Oh, that's all right. These quick questions, but um, uh, uh, Bruiser started a riot in which six policemen were hurt, and he was barred from New York forever. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so never getting in really an opportunity to work with Vince McMahon's uh, Vince McMahon Senior's WWWF at that time. Right. Um, speaking of Dick the Bruiser, you were. Actually, Dick the Bruiser's son-in-law for a time was that a bit was that a bit a t- bit intimidating at times to be his son-in-law. Well, um, we lived next door to Dick the Bruiser, and um, his first son-in-law was the great Spike Huber, who was married to what was my my wife, and he left her um, for a uh, another woman and. Um, um, she found out, and they quickly got a divorce, and then we started dating. And being Bruiser's son-in-law, I was in awe. I loved the Bruiser. He couldn't do anything wrong, but it wasn't really that easy. I, I was also the ring guy. I would have to set up the ring and tear it down, go to the shows very early and wait around. And um, but, but that's how I learned the business, really. That's a pretty cool thing. Um your work uh, led you into photographing for magazines, like you said, Gong and Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which I'm actually a subscriber to, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And you've worked with uh, famed pro wrestling journalist uh, Bill Apter, you mentioned, or who you mentioned earlier. How were you able to kind of get connected with him? Well, my pictures were always good. And even before, you know, many years before I married Bruiser's daughter in the 70s, I would send matches of um you know dick the bruiser's matches to 
um, the um, After magazines, all dating all the way back to 1985. And then when I started traveling in the wrestling business um, through Bill After, um, you know, that's how I got connected with him. He had known me since uh, 1975, and I worked with Pro Wrestling Illustrated into the uh, – they listed me as a photographer all the way up to about 2010. Wow! But I really didn't do a lot of work with them in the um, in in the 2000s, in the early two to mid 2000s. But still, that's a long time. That's still what 25 years or so. You said 85, yeah. 85 yeah. to 2010. That's still an impressive run. So 75. 75. 75. Oh. Right. Oh. I, I think the first big story I had published in after his magazine was at home with Jacques Goulet. <clears throat> and I got to know the wrestlers, <clears throat> and they would allow me into their house and, and uh, photograph them. There was also um, um, other magazines that I worked with before Bill After, before Bill took me on board, and that was um, the Wrestling News. Norman Keatser owned it. Uh, Tom Burke had um, Ring, Ring Wrestling Magazine. And, um, you know, and then later on, Carmine Despirito had uh, wrestling uh, wave, I think it was. So I, I one time or another, I worked with uh, most of the magazines. Bill was the one that paid the most, and uh, he always had the most prestigious magazine. I did many covers for him, and uh, in 1983... I was the representative for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, where I presented Harley Race with the Wrestler of the Year Award in the middle of the ring. Wow. That is really cool. Harley Race, yeah, one of the bigger legends in the industry, of course. At former, and, and my, former, NWA, my, former NWA world champ. <laughs> a eight-time eight time champion, yes. And... Um, my first match that I managed in the WWA, Bruiser brought in Harley Race, and I was his manager for that one. Uh, how was that experience? <laughs> it was it was pretty exciting, and um, I, um, Harley Race knew how to throw his voice to where it sounded like it was coming from a whole different area. He threw his voice like a ventriloquist. And uh, that's how he would talk to the uh, wrestlers to, to work a spot. And uh, when I, it, it looked like it sounded like he was on the other side of the ring, but he would be right next to me, and it sounded like it was coming from a distance or real close. And he made, uh, you know, say somebody threw a punch, he could make a, uh, a sound with his nose, with his tongue and um, uh, make it sound like a, a smack or something like that. You know, it was just amazing on how well uh, he could he could work and um, um, get the fans to believe in him. Wow. Um, you also uh, had the opportunity to actually what, uh, photograph for the WWF, if I'm correct, during the earlier stages of Hulkamania. What was that like? <clears throat> well, that was really exciting. That was when... The WWF at the time uh, took over wrestling, and their first territory that they invaded was St. Louis. And St. Louis Wrestling Club was my territory uh, when I was working with Gong Magazine and Bill Apter. 
that was the um, um, that was the main place where a lot of the titles would change hands. And the uh, Missouri Heavyweight Championship was one of the more prestigious uh, championships. And um, uh, because I had the connections with Gong Magazine, I was able to get ringside access working at the ring um, with their photographer, who was Steve Taylor. Now, I was not an employee of WWF. I was working with with Gong Magazine. And um, my picture, I had to sign a contract where my pictures were only to appear in the country of Japan. So um, I, I, in the early stages of the Hulkamania, yes, I shot um, ringside. And I was the only one in the whole wrestling business outside of the WWF employee, Steve Taylor, that they allowed at the ring. Oh my goodness! So that you got to got to take some special pictures, and those crowds have had had to have been insane at that time. Oh, it was just an unbelievable. You know, it's not like it was it is today. It was uh, so much more exciting, and um, I can't I can't imagine. I I haven't been able to find any job or anything that gave me the excitement that I got when I was photographing the Hulk. Hawk Hogan and, and the WWF and all the and, and, and the other territories back in the good old days, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling, WCW. I worked in Texas with the Von Erics, um, worked North Carolina. I worked uh, all these different territories and I got to travel and fly to the shows. And that's that's a pretty sweet gig. I was I was actually going to talk to you about the Von Erics here. Um you did mention in your book that you spent a lot of time covering that Texas-based promotion, World Class Championship Wrestling, um, which was home of the famous Von Erich family, who whose tragic past is well documented. One of the memorable memorable events you said you covered was the David Von Erich funeral. What was that like uh, being there to cover that? Well, it was very somber, and. Um, I couldn't get inside the church. On the outside, there were probably 5,000 people listening to the service on a uh, intercom. And um, fortunately, after they put the body in the hearse to go to the uh, uh, mortuary or, or to the cemetery, um, I, I found out who the minister of the who the minister was, and he allowed me to drive with him to the gated uh, Von Erich house and um, um, do an interview with Fritz and Carrie and find out what's going to be next. See, they, they, they were, the, the NWA was planning on David Von Erich being the next NWA champion, and that didn't occur because he was found dead in his bed in Japan. So it was um, it was very somber, very sad. But and and the Von Erichs gave me the time of day and allowed me into their house. And um, Bill Apter ended up going to the house as well. Um, there were there was security all over the place, so that was kind of cool being able to go through security and 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 uh, be able to um, I guess mourn with the Von Erichs. Which was a, probably an incredible experience, and you also had another experience with the Von Erichs. You were 
There, actually, when you were photographing, when Kerry Von Erich won the NWA world title in front of 52,000 in Texas Stadium, I actually watched that match back uh, last week. And the the eruption and explosion of the crowd is probably one of the loudest you'll ever hear when uh, Kerry gets the backslide and uh, gets the wins the title. What do you remember about being there and uh, being there during that special moment? Well, that was called the first annual David Von Erich um, Memorial Wrestling Match or something, wrestling show. They did two of them. The first one was, they were both at Texas Stadium, and uh, the the first one drew 58,000 people, which at that time was the largest crowd to witness a professional wrestling match. Um it was, you know, it was, it was great. It was outside, and um, um, it was in February, I believe, or March. It was very, um, it was very hot outside, and I had worn a suit. I always wanted to uh, impress the promoter by wearing, at least, wearing a tie, and and um, I just remember sweating a lot, and um, you know, all the matches were really good. You had. Gentleman uh, Chris Adams and um, Iceman Parsons, uh, One Man Gang, Bruiser Brody. Um, so it was it was um, it was pretty exciting to be a part of that and to record the history of the match. That's cool. That's cool. Your ph- photography has also led you into many other opportunities uh, outside the well, kind of in the ring actually as a wrestling in the wrestling business as a, re- a wrestler and a manager and you're better known to fans in the midwest as a uh, Saul Creechman how did that all come about and were you a bit apprehensive about getting the getting in the ring not at all not apprehensive at all um let's see bruiser had a son by the name of Carl Athlos he wrestled under the name of the strangler and he was in and out of prison all his life and uh, on on one of his releases, he was the um, he he had the ring. He was the ring guy for Bruiser, which isn't really that prestigious, being the ring person. Uh, and he got pissed off at Bruiser, and um, dumped the ring in in Bruiser's yard. And um, uh, I was just dating Michelle at the time, or maybe I was just married to her. I don't remember. We're talking 35, 40 years ago. And um, let's see. He um, he left the ring in his driveway, or in, in, in his yard, and Bruiser uh, asked me to pick up the ring, which I did. And then he said, I want you to grow a beard because you're going to be the next manager. And I grew a beard, and I was the next manager. There was no formal training, no nothing. I just improvised, and and that's how I learned how to work. Oh, my gosh. So you just got thrown right into the fire. No no training or anything. That's, That's crazy. And like I said, my first person that I managed was Harley Race. So that was putting me over pretty good, I guess. Yeah, just just a little bit. (laughs) Saul Creechman was a combination of Saul Weingroff and Eddie the Brain Creechman. And I had Eddie Creechman's blessings to use the Creechman name. And, in fact, he wanted me to come up to Canada and team with his son, Floyd Creechman. But I didn't. Oh, why is that? 
Um, you know, um, I I had to work. You know, I had to listen to Dick the Bruiser. I, um, you know, I, he he wouldn't permit me to to travel that far. And I was married, and you know, with the Spike Huber situation where he left for another woman, you know, they certainly didn't want that to happen to me. Yeah, that makes that. They wanted me to pay the bills. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Makes total sense. Um, Vice, they, uh, Vice, they've done a, they've done a bunch of great pieces on kind of tragic events in wrestling and such. they have a great piece on Dark Side of the Ring series about the murder of Bruiser Brody in uh, Puerto Rico, the Jose Gonzalez Bruiser Brody uh, incident in Puerto Rico, which you did provide some photography photography for. Um, how did that come about, and what was it like to photograph Bruiser, especially back during his heyday? Well, um, Bruiser Brody knew that I was a Japanese photography and photographer. And he was um, very famous and used all the time in Japan. And so he knew that uh, I was a very credible photographer. And, and we got along very well. We would go out after the matches and have drinks at places and stuff like that. One of my great pictures on my Facebook page is a picture of me and Bruiser Brody. And he's giving me a drink in this great big, like, uh, two and a half, three gallon mug, and um, it, it's uh, he. He was always fun. He he did. You know, he was able to separate the Bruiser Brody gimmick to the uh, to his own personal Frank Goodish. So um, you know, we we just talked business, and um, uh, we and and I would either drive him to the airport, or we'd go and have a drink, or or go to a restaurant, and. He was fine. I did photograph the first annual, um, um, let's see, uh, St. Louis Wrestling. Let's see, what was it? It's Herb Simmons territory. I'm trying to remember the name of the SI St. Louis, Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling, SICW. Um, that was, um, he, he per, uh, every year, the great promoter who's still doing it after all these years and is one of the most respected promoters in the business, Herb Simmons. He does a annual Bruiser Brody Battle Royal in in um, in his hometown every single year. And and um, Barbara Goodish, Brody's widow, uh, goes to the uh, is a guest at every one of those shows, and she's always there. And she is actually the one that introduced me to um, the um, um, publishers of the Dark Side of the Ring people. And I provided the marquee picture of, of Bruiser Brody swinging the chain that was used to advertise the first uh, year uh, series of Dark Side of the Ring. And my name is credited as well. And that that gave me some good credentials and credibility too. I mean, that's um, Vice TV. You can't get any better than that. And Vice TV is located around the world. My contacts were in Canada. Wow! And they paid me, and they paid me very fair too for to to use that picture. And they bought another picture that they haven't used yet. And each time they do a series, they call me. I'm the first one they call up to see if I've got a picture of the person 
that they're going to do a feature on. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing. And then that Battle Royal, they still do it every single year. That's making sure his legacy kind of lives on forever. That's exactly right. Um, I'm also involved. I, I've made history in business, in, in the wrestling business. Um, it's, it's nothing to really be proud of. And um, um, I was involved in what is called the infamous Onita stabbing angle. I was... And, and that, that's all written in my book. If, uh, if you listeners type in uh, the infamous Onita stabbing angle, you'll see uh, several pages worth of uh, what that was involved with. Which, which was a crazy situation, and you accidentally kind of exposed it uh, to uh, Jose in the in the shower. Uh, with the same was it the same shower that? Uh, I I don't know what shower I you know I I drove to a small town with um, Mr. Pogo, and uh, I don't even remember what what uh, arena it was at, but it was in Puerto Rico, and um, that that's where I told. Oh, oh, actually, that's a different story. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Um, my my agent Jimmy Suzuki, who I'm going to be seeing on Friday, he's driving through Indianapolis and he's going to spend the night. And we've already made plans to uh, get dinner. He is uh, uh, one of the most respected wrestling journalists in in the business. He's been doing it for well over forty years. He still travels worldwide and gets his expenses paid for um but but jimmy had called me up and uh he said uh i want you to meet me in puerto rico and um uh, because i want you to photograph an angle he didn't tell me anything about it and i was uh picked up in a limousine by onita the famous hardcore japanese wrestler and um we drove to um a, a tv studio and um, I still didn't know what my assignment was going to be consistent of or who I was going to photograph. And I was the first one to walk into the door, walk through the door, and I was eye-to-eye with Jose Gonzalez, the man that murdered Bruiser Brody. My goodness, that's got to be a little bit uh, eerie eerie uh, feeling. It, it, uh, it, it freaked me out. But uh, um, so um, they're talking and uh, the other wrestlers came in and uh, uh, then it's time to photograph. And they start they start um, beating up on on Onita, which was a work, of course. Yeah. You know, the signing of the contract slash fight afterwards. And um, um, the um, um, Puerto Rican wrestlers were beaten up on on um, Onita, and he uh, gigged his head during the uh, beat-up phase of it. And um, after, and I took pictures of that. Okay, so so now that's over with. And all the wrestlers left, including Jose, which just left me, Jimmy Suzuki, and the other Japanese photographers that accompanied um, Onita on this uh, photo shoot. Well, um, so uh, Onita uh, takes a razor blade and starts cutting into his stomach, trying to get uh, blood. 
and trying to make it deep as well, and it was hurting him, and he didn't really go that deep. And I'm photographing all this, but one thing that was really peculiar was all the other photographers that had come with Onita were uh, standing around and not photographing anything. So um, Onita couldn't really get a lot of blood from his stomach, so there were pools of blood on the floor, and I told him to um, uh, scoop it up and put it on his put it on his shirt to make it look like it's a lot worse than it was. So I'm taking pictures, and then somebody pulls the um, fire alarm. Again, Jose and everybody and, and uh, Carlos Colon and everybody else had left the arena, or had left the studio, and that drew uh, the attention of the. Um, police department, fire department, and also an ambulance. And they came, and they picked Onita up and uh, took him on a stretcher to the hospital. And I was detained. I was detained for a few minutes. And they wanted me to find out what I saw. And I didn't, you know, I told them. I was like uh, Sergeant Schultz in, um, in Hogan's Heroes. I saw nothing. Thing. Nothing. That's another show from the uh, 60s that uh, was was popular. So I'm talking really old school. But um, um, so the uh, limousine took us to the hospital and Onita talked the doctor into giving him one stitch. And then Jimmy Suzuki takes my film and flies out from Puerto Rico to Miami to send it overnight to um, Japan, and it made the uh, front page of the newspaper as though it was a real stabbing. And we got that, uh, we we got a fax with the Japanese newspaper and the um, Onita stabbing being right there on the front page. So so, um, later on that night, me and Mr. Pogo, who was a, a popular Japanese wrestler and a regular in Puerto Rico, drove to um, an arena in in uh, Puerto Rico, and uh, I was told by one of the uh, Stooges, um, Jose Gonzalez wants to see you, El Pronto. So I I was hanging out in the uh, Japanese wrestlers' dressing room, bad guy wrestlers dressing room where Jose and Carlos Colon and all them, they were in the um, baby face dressing room. So I was marched to the other side of the arena to uh, uh, see Jose. And he, uh, he smiles at me. He goes, amigo, how did you like the angle? And I said, it was, it was, uh, I thought it worked out great. What else am I supposed to say? And he says, I hear you were married to Dick the Bruiser's daughter. I worked for Dick the Bruiser when, in, in, this, in 1969. But anyhow, um, you, so you thought the angle worked out well. See, Onita wanted Jose to go to Japan where they promised him big money. He didn't have any idea about the stabbing part of it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so um, you know that that Onita took it that far, and um, and I told him um, Onita had gotten a stitch in in his wound in his stomach, 
and he he's looking at me real confused like what do you mean and and i just you know my heart was pumping and you know i almost peed my pants when i saw jose and i'm telling him this crap and uh, i i just walked out of the dressing room after that i didn't get into any more detail and um legend has it that onita was gonna uh was was sending jose to japan so they could make him disappear oh my goodness and in in japan um the yakuza has a lot to do with the wrestling and um it was it wasn't until a few years later that i was photographing a um it was in indianapolis it was uh, wrestlemania and so this i i think that was like 19 um I, I forgot, 1993, maybe? 92, 93, one of those years. Okay, and um, and my first big assignment was um, Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling. So I saw Stu Hart, I reintroduced myself, and, oh, yeah, what have you been doing, blah, 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 and I told him about the um, uh, incident in Puerto Rico, Oh yeah, I heard about that, and he was actually the one that told me about that it was, uh, you know, that the, uh, you know, that they were going to have Jose disappear. So um, I, I kept that pretty secret for for quite a while, and until um, until Murray, what Emerson Murray did, the uh, called me up. He was the writer for the first Bruiser Brody book. And I gave my account of what happened, in and and which with with pictures of the actual um, fake stabbing and the beat up pictures, and um, um, that still didn't really come to fruitation until when did it really? Like maybe yeah, that that's when it all came to fruitation and how serious it was and how um, um, that ended up being. Um, um, wrestling, what is it? It's, wrestling um, Observer. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Right on. It was Wrestling Observer's, um, it was the worst angle of the year award. Yeah, it was the most disgusting promotional tactic of 1990. Right, there you go. But yeah, that was not a great angle, not not something very, well, it, it's infamous, that's what we'll say. It's not famous, it's infamous, for being right. uh, so bad. So on the um, on the um, dark side of the ring, they just have a little uh, a little mention of it, and and uh, the newspaper picture of um, Onita getting beat up, which is the one that I took. Now uh, they had contacted me um, after all the um, af- after everything was done, you know what I mean? And they just wanted the picture. So they didn't really go into too much detail about that stabbing angle. But I sent it all to them to let them know just how serious and big it was. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, one of the photos, you one of the many photos, your book has so many great photos. You're with uh, the Rhodes family, Bruiser Brody, Andre the Giant, Kamala, Tracy Smothers, uh, Macho Man, Harley Race, Ric Flair. That's just naming a couple, and there's a lot more in the book. Um, one of the pictures I saw in the book 
which was uh, Dusty and Cody Rhodes. You with Dusty and Cody. Do you have a? Do you know the story behind that photo you took with them? That was on an OV, OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which at that time was the training school for um, the future WWF, WWE stars. And um, they did a um, outside, um, not Kings Island, what's the, what's the other park, not Kings Island, but... Um, Was it Cedar Point? No, not that one. Um, Kentucky Kingdom. One of those. Anyhow, uh, they they had the um, they they had the uh, uh, an outdoor show, and um, I had phot- photographed that one for Afters Magazine. And um, um, Dusty Rhodes had come out of retirement to um, uh, team with his son, who was wrestling and training at the time with Ohio Valley Wrestling. So that's how I got that picture. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and he's a big star now, Cody is. Um, and one of the many photos I saw in your book was uh, at an AEW event that happened last year at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. I was actually in, intend- in attendance for it. Uh, it made me curious. Uh, because you've seen multiple generations of wrestling, uh, what is your kind of take on the current wrestling product and how closely do closely, closely do you follow it? Well, I, I don't follow it real closely. I watch it on TV. I don't even really remember the guys' names. Um, that's in, in both um, uh, AEW and and um, um, what's the B team for WWE? NXT. Um, NXT, yeah, right. Um, it, it, it's a halfway decent product. You know, nothing compares to wrestling like it was in the territorial days. I don't know. I don't care how you look at it. And, um, you know, they put on a very good, enthusiastic show, but it's just not. It's, I, 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 even as a uh, photographer and, and being relatively smart in the business, I like to suspend my, um, my illusion of it uh, and, and watch it as though it's real. And it's just, you know, you've got, um, you've got a majority of wrestlers that are. Um, you know, 200 pounds and, and under. And it's just, to me, it's not that believable. And the crazy finishing holds where people are doing backflips off the top rope and um, suicide dives and stuff like that. You didn't have to do that in in the old days, you know. I mean, Baron Von Rasch, he can, can finish a match with a claw hold. And when, when um, say, Cowboy Bob Ellis would start making a comeback, and it's just a claw hold, which is actually a resting hold. Nobody's having to do anything. And the fans would cheer and um, uh, for the good guy to, to make his comeback, and then uh, he just about, he's about ready to do it, and then Baron would, would pull his hair and bring him back on the mat. That's, that was exciting to me. Today's product... I'm able to adjust to stay current in the business, but uh, but uh, I, I still love the old school stuff. And it's like uh, certain things I know, uh, Hogan's leg drop, Hogan's comeback, it's like similar to that uh, Von Raschke situation, uh, uh, scenario you uh, explained to me, right? Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it's big move, big move, big move, big move. It's getting those moves, those bigger moves you have over, correct? Exactly. You know, you go into the um, dressing room, 
And, and the workers today, they start talking about what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, um, getting their, their, their shit in, I guess you call it. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, back in my day, we improvised, you know, and um, you just went with the flow. And if you knew how to work, you could make the show very, very exciting or your match very, very exciting. And it's uh, getting a feel of the crowd, really. That's what it is, right? You kind of... Right, and even the pitch of the um, of the crowd. You look at that um, David Von Erich uh, memorial show, or or you look at um, uh, Memphis tapes, and there's that real high shriek when the when when the baby face would come out. You, the, the the even the noise of the crowd isn't the same that it used to be. Gotcha. I gotcha. That I just want to get your take on it because I was curious since you've experienced multiple generations of uh, of, of pro wrestling. Um, since we uh, we talked a lot about wrestling on this, we I'm going to go over to boxing for a minute. Um, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about that boxing portion, um, which has many great stories, including your time in Israel covering a fight for Johar. Boo-alition, which had led to some interesting situations. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? I was the personal photographer for the Arab world champion, Johar Abu Lashin. He was calling himself the Israeli kid, so he could, and, and uh, bringing the um, Israeli flag into the ring when he was actually a, an Arab. And um, he sent me to... Um, he sent me to uh, Nazareth, Israel with him. And um, the big thing was we were fighting for peace, bringing Israel and the Arabs together in a boxing match. In fact, the uh, on the undercard, it was uh, the Arabs versus the Israelis. And um, the Israelis were actually Russian Jews, and they're pretty tough. And and they beat up, they beat the shit out of every uh, every Arab on the show. And um, the main event was my buddy Craig Halk uh, versus uh, Johar Abu Lashin. And um, um, before the match, before the show, a, a few days before the show, we actually met with Yasser Arafat, and he said, Johar. Um, you're one of us. You're not a Jew. You will not be waving the. So I, um, I waved the before the match. I waved the Isra- the um, American flag, and they did a documentary. It's called Raging Dove, and there are some clips from Raging Dove. In fact, if you go to YouTube, type in my name, and. Uh, uh, there is the film clip of me waving the Israeli flag. I mean, the American flag um, that I cut from the from the movie, and the movie has won um, many international awards. And um, it's a it's really a um, riches to rag story. And Johar was the champion, but he couldn't get any more fights, and he um, um, uh, the um, Boxing Federation stripped him of his title because he didn't defend his title in a, in a certain amount of time. So um, 
through boxing, I've been able to go to Denmark and um, Germany and Italy and Finland and Canada, all kinds of places. So my resume is pretty similar to my travels in boxing, or in wrestling as it is in, in boxing. I've had the best of both worlds for most of my life. That's a pretty cool thing. And, you, and it's like you made a, you made a full-time gig out of almost what you just you were just doing for fun at the beginning and just selling a pictures for like a dollar or something it turned into your career which is a pretty cool thing yes yes um i sell i take pictures at boxing shows and i um i sell them to the fans just like i did when i was 12 years old um except now i can print them up instantly and um to to get uh, a picture of a fighter in the pr- in the prime of their time in the years and a, a great action shot, chances are they're going to buy that picture right then and there. So that's what I do. Um, they don't even know that I'm printing the pictures up. I'll take pictures at the show. They're now they're 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 uh, uh, the announcers. Tell uh, both fighters are in the ring and they're announcing the winner. And I'll run over to the printer and print a couple pictures up. And then before they even leave the ring, I'll show them the picture and they'll whip out money almost 90% of the time. And I don't overcharge anybody. You know, there's a certain, I, I charge $20 for an 8x10. But if you take um, um, the quantity of pictures sold to throughout a whole boxing show it, and, and you sell them to the fans and to the uh, fighters it, it, it's a decent it's a decent payday you know uh, even if it isn't I enjoy being in the business so I don't care if I I do care if I lose if I don't make money but uh, um, but but uh, but in in the long run I'm really having the time of my life and you're doing what you love and uh, and, you're, and you made it kind of you made it a career so that's and that's right. every, that's and like the dream that's the dream everyone has <laughs> exactly so you know uh, boxing and wrestling you know there's a lot of action I've become a really good action photographer and uh you don't limit yourself just to wrestling and boxing photography um you have you photograph other events like bar mitzvahs weddings and other events oh, but also there you you photograph a really good a really great fundraising one in uh, Timmy Dakedown that uh, gives kids with unique abilities uh an opportunity to get in the ring and have a match with uh Dr. Doom uh Dr. Dr. Chuck Dietzen and uh that's to raise funds for Timmy Global Health so what's that's, a bit Yes, that's right. Good, good job. Keep on. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, you're no, you're good. You're good. Uh, what's it been like photographing that event? Because I imagine it's a pretty gratifying uh, experience seeing these kids getting an opportunity to get in the ring and uh, create a lifelong memory for both them and their parents. It, it's very rewarding, and um, you know, wrestling and boxing, and and you know, you can come across some pretty rough people in boxing and wrestling, but. Uh, when I photograph these these uh, matches with these severely um, physical disabled children, um, and and they're able to put a a wrestling outfit on, and, and um, um, Doctor Chuck, who gently lets the you know wrestles them and lets them flip them and um, uh, do all these little moves. Um, it, it's very rewarding. The smiles on their faces, 
you can't put a price on on what you what I'm able to see, and then to give them a picture that that's what I do to um, um, you know to keep from being a piece of crap. You know what I mean? Is is donate my time and and uh, photography to photographing uh, Timmy takedown. And you've photographed uh, so many events in your career. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to cover that you haven't gotten an opportunity to do yet? Well, I almost went to the Olympics. Um, one of my friends is Jerry Coangelo, who is the, um, he, he owned, um, oh, Jesus, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he's uh, president of the um, uh, women's basketball the WNBA, and um, I was going to go to, um, I forgot where the Olympics was so, 10 years ago, but uh, uh, we were trying to get me to, to, to do that. I think it was but, Beijing. Um, you know, yeah, Beijing, right, exactly, that's where it was. Um, he brought he brought the home the gold as well, but, um, you know, throughout my Ventures. I've been able to photograph Muhammad Ali and Dalai Lama and Mel Brooks and Siegfried and Roy and Gina Lola Bridja and Sophia Loren, um, President Bush, who I was uh, doing photo ops with, President George H.W. Bush, and then later on in Washington that same day, um, I was... Um, uh, hanging out with George H. D- George Bush, Jr., and um, um, through being the official photographer with the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame and the National Italian American Foundation and the Ellis Islands Medals of Honor, I have met and been able to rub elbows with countless celebrities and sports stars and world leaders and uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, and a lot of that is in my book as well. And, uh, yeah, in your book, you, there are so many pictures and so many stories you to- tell. It's You guys have to read and look at the uh, look at the pictures to believe because some of the people you rubbed elbows with, like you said, George H.W. Bush and countless, countless others along with uh, many wrestlers and celebrities. It's just kind of a crazy thing what photography brought to you uh, throughout your life. Well, you know, uh, everybody should have 15 minutes of fame or 10. What, what is the yeah, 15 minutes the, of fame, 15 minutes of fame. And, and my 15 minutes still isn't up because I'm still photographing very famous people at different events that I'm able to be at. And uh, where can uh, people find your book, uh, uh, Scott? Well, um, you can order one through me. It's $25, and that, that's shipping and handling included. And I will personally autograph the book for you. Um, you can um, inbox me at Scott Romer. Um, Scott, I'm sorry, Scott at ScottRomerPhoto.com, R-O-M-E-R, Photo, P-H-O-T-O dot com. Scott at ScottRomerPhoto.com. I make the most amount of money when, when, um, when it's bought directly through me. Or you can get it through Amazon. And with Amazon, 
you don't have the um, if if you're a prime member you don't have to pay shipping so you can get that book for twenty dollars and but it's not personally autographed to you and i'll make just a few dollars on that one so go through me you can write email me or you can um uh inbox me on on facebook and if i get your information i do take credit cards um, or PayPal, however you want to pay for it, and I'll ship your your um, book out immediately. And the book is called When It Was, My Life on Both Sides of the Camera. John Cosper and Scott Romer, who is speaking with me currently. Anything else you'd like to say, Scott? No, um, no, Skyler. It was a pleasure um, telling my story. I hope uh, you get a lot of listeners on this, and... Um, I'll tell all my friends to listen. So um, um, I, I really appreciate being a part of your show. Thank you, Scott. Uh, we could honestly probably do a two-hour show because you have so many, so many stories uh, to tell. But thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, joining me on uh, Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, that was a ton of fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Scott Romer. If you did, make sure to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure you add When It Was My Life on Both Sides of the Camera by John Cosper and Scott Romer to your collection of books can't recommend it enough. Also, stay tuned. I'll have my AEW full gear review up following the pay-per-view on Saturday. In the meantime, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Facebook at SigDaddyWrestle and on Instagram at SigDaddy.Wrestle. Until next time, this is SigDaddy signing off. Thanks for listening and so long everybody.